0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm Doug Sweeney here with my co-host Kristen Padilla And we are delighted to welcome you to another week of edifying conversation about the things that God is doing in and through the Beeson family. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that Dr. Kevin Van Hooser was here not long ago for my installation service. And this week, we have another friend on the show, Dr. Ray Van Nest, who is on campus giving our annual biblical studies lectures, February 11, 12, and 13. Now Kristen, would you please tell our listeners about doctor Ray Van Est?
1: Welcome everyone to the some podcast. As Doug said, we are pleased to have Dr. Ray Van Nest with us on the show today. He is dean of the School of Theology and, Mis- and Missions at Union University, where he also serves as professor of biblical studies. Dr. Van Nest is an ordained Baptist minister, prolific author, manager of pastoralepistles.com, and a pastoral epistles expert. He is married to Tammy, and they have six children. Welcome, Dr. Van Ness, to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: We always like to begin with an introduction, a a longer introduction. Um, How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and what drew you to study and teach the Bible?
2: Yes, thank you. Um, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home uh, where I heard the gospel from uh, early days and was in the church Uh, So there's part of the air I breathe of hearing these things, which then meant, uh, they didn't mean, but it ended up that I professed faith early on, but really didn't know the Lord. Um, But just continuing to hear the gospel, being convicted, uh, I came to faith in the sixth grade and uh, again, was blessed to be in a place where the Bible was faithfully preached and preaching through books of the Bible. uh, And... Um, We had Bible drills, so it was drilled into me memorizing scripture. So um, that's all I knew, of course. That's the way it is when we grow up. So I thought that's what everybody did. And so along the way, I have realized what a blessing that was. Um, I can see some things in church, whatever, that I would do differently now. But one of the things I often say to students is, uh, as you probably about the time of college age, you begin to see, some things you might disagree with or might would see done differently. And so as that's happening, I try to caution them, Okay, sure, sure, sure. But uh, you learn and grow. Your parents and others hope you will grow beyond uh, where they are. But don't miss uh, the uh, positive things that you received. And so uh, I was really blessed in in that. And that played into then a call to ministry, which uh, I fought. Uh, the traditional language in my circles is surrender to ministry and sometimes that's a little odd in my case that was that's good language mm-hmm. that's exactly what I did. I thought I was going to study physics and uh, through a variety of things the Lord began to work to call me to ministry. I was telling some of the students just a minute ago about uh, that process and when adults in my life began to say, uh, "Do you think maybe God's calling you to ministry?" and I would find myself irritated at the question and respond. I, I knew better than to respond rudely to them. I would be in big trouble. But nonetheless, it was a strong no. And I began to say to myself, why am I so irritated by that? Um, well, it's because the Lord is calling me and I'm resisting it. So I, I knew what I, I wrote on a piece of paper that um, in our youth group, you know, was a setting after a, a camp and what had the Lord worked on you. And I said to teach the Bible because that seemed a little a little less scary than saying to preach the Bible. Uh, but I didn't know what that really looked like. When I went to Union, I, again, I thought I was going to study physics. It seemed weird to pick Union instead of some places where I had some scholarship opportunities that actually had physics majors. Um, but I felt like the Lord was calling me there. Then that made sense as the call to ministry came through. And there in classes, uh, when I took Greek, I just thought, wow, this is amazing stuff. Somehow I need to be engaged with this. And uh, that's the process that began then moved me towards biblical studies.
0: Well, speaking of union, uh, Kristen's already mentioned that you're a dean and a professor at Union University. Lots of our listeners know that b has had a longstanding relationship with Union University that we've really uh, been blessed by over the years. Uh, But what people might not know as much about is what the Lord's doing at Union these days, what your life is like at Union, what your job is like day by day? Yes.
2: Uh, I might not exactly know what my life is like day by day, Um, (laughs) but uh, it's a good time to be at Union. I'm uh, delighted to be there. I'm in my 20th year there, and then my wife and I were undergrads there, so we're both approaching about half of our life being there, which is a great blessing to us. And uh, it is an exciting time. We continue to have great students coming through and uh, encouraging ministry, uh, being done by them, through them, with them. Uh, Dr. Oliver is doing a great job of uh, leading forward, so uh, it's encouraging day-to-day for me. Uh, I, I teach one or two classes a semester. I'm supposed to teach one, and two or three out of my four semesters so far in the role I've taught two. Just some more things that need to be done or have wanted to do. So I've got a class, and then... Typically, various things, uh, I imagine it's similar to yours, of uh, planning, uh, looking ahead, and the dean of the School of Theology and Missions role, which is different from some of our other dean roles at Union, there's a significant part of my work that is church relations, mm. and that's a part that I particularly enjoy. I'm having to learn some more of the other academic administrative part, but the uh, church relations part is a lot of fun, uh, engaging our associations nearby, touching base with them, Uh, letting them know about things we're doing that could serve them and also uh, trying to hear more and more about better ways we can serve them and be partners together there, particularly in Weston Sea.
1: As already said, you are here at uh, Beeson to deliver some lectures on the Pastoral Epistles, and before we get into the content of those lectures, I'm just interested to know what drew you to study and do so much of your academic work in the Pastoral Epistles. What excites you about them?
2: Yes, yes. How long do we have? <laughs> uh. I was just having a piece of this conversation with, again, with some of the students at lunch. When I was in master's work at Trinity, I came to the point where I needed to decide what I would write master's thesis on. And uh, I'm still this way that my interests are broad. Some of my friends, in fact, tease me that I messed up going in the New Testament studies because they keep seeing all this Interest in church history and other things, and so I'm there, needing to decide on something to do. Serious work on to write a a longer thesis, and I'm by this time it needs to be New Testament. I've I've got that narrowed, and I've got interest in the Gospels and other things. I'm just I'm trying to figure this out, but it just so happened I was pastoring uh, when I was there. That was a real blessing to me as well, and I was we had a little duplex. And there was an unfinished basement, which we made my study. Uh, it's not quite as grand as that sounds, but it was a nice little <laughs> spot for me. And I was there working on a sermon, and I was preaching on Titus. And I don't remember why I was in Titus at that time, what had led me to choose that or whatever. But I was in Titus, and uh, I was really looking at the shift between chapter 1 and chapter 2 and wrestling with that. And I began to see some things with the flow of thought or the structure that weren't in the commentaries that I had. It's not to say that nobody had ever seen it before, but they weren't in the commentaries I had. And that piqued my interest. And I thought, I think I want to work on this. And so it was that coming out of sermon preparation that led to the topic for a master's thesis, which led to the doctoral work and the rest of the things from there. (laughs) So it's fun to me for that to grow out of sermon preparation.
0: While we're on the topic of the pastoral epistles, uh, let me let our listeners know that you've been giving lectures this week on our campus from the pastoral epistles, and you also preached a marvelous sermon. We'll talk about that in a minute, but a marvelous sermon that I wish we could require for every seminary student in the world uh, (laughs) yesterday in our chapel. But today, tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday, you're giving a little bit more academic lectures from the pastorals. Today, you talked about our people, ethics and the identity of the people of God in the letter to Titus. And tomorrow, you'll talk about the word, prayer and practice worship in the pastoral epistles of course, we're going to post these lectures online, and our listeners can see the whole lecture for themselves. But for people who just want, for now, an executive summary, can you just let them know what your messages are in these lectures today and tomorrow?
2: Sure. Um, today, the uh, focus was on the ethics that we find, the ethical teaching that we find in the letter to Titus. And it really is the eventual outgrowth of that aha moment 25 or however many years ago it was in in, uh, my basement study, Um, I've seen how this goes together. The basic thing I'm arguing there is that the exhortations in that letter aren't merely cultural accommodation or compromise, but they are um, the express description of what it looks like to live out the gospel. So it's pushing back on some critical scholarship in different ways. And then maybe even in the evangelical world, trying to hold up an an example of something that's here that maybe we don't look at as often. And then the second lecture uh, on worship came out of just this setting of somebody asking, but what contribution do these letters make to worship, uh, to our understanding of worship? And I discovered there's not much written asking that question of the pastoral epistles. And sometimes in biblical studies, we're examining the text and we say, aha, here's something. Other times, a question is put to us and we begin to say, well, what is there? So uh, this lecture comes more of that, you know, what is here? And in the end, I thought there's actually, there's uh, some significant things here for us to glean from the pastorals in this sense. I think the fact that we haven't asked the worship question of these letters significantly is probably part of the broader thing, even in the evangelical world, where the letters get overlooked in a lot of ways. So I'll try to uh, pull out a few of the points that I think are there.
1: And for the few listeners who do not know which books are part of the pastoral epistles, Mm. can you say what those are just for those few? That's
2: a great question because I, I assume that, and then I'm in various situations where that's not the case. Uh, First Timothy, second Timothy and Titus.
1: Thank you. Well, moving on then to your sermon, uh, yesterday, as Doug mentioned, was just a wonderful sermon on the portrait of a faithful and approved pastor from 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26. Uh, you mentioned several qualities, but one of them that uh, was just especially important as I was listening to you was that of humility. So why is humility and so important in the life of a minister, And how can one cultivate humility?
2: Yes, that's a great question. One has been a topic of a lot of discussion over the history of the church. Um, But as far as why is it so important, I think it's, first of all, just important in the life of a believer. God resists the proud. So if we want to draw near to him which is discipleship, right, which is sanctification. Uh, We're going to be stymied in that effort as we hold on to our pride. Isaiah 66, I referenced in the one lecture, talks about the one to whom God will look. So again, drawing near to God um, is the one who um, is contrite and humble and trembles at his word. So just all the way through the scriptures, it tells us, essentially, if you want to be stiff-armed by God and held at a distance, Hold on to your pride. But if you want to grow close to him, if you want to know him, cultivate humility. And before I get to cultivating humility, it seems to me that in, I'd say, the American church, but maybe I even just get closer down to our world in evangelicalism, we all know that the Bible talks about humility, but far too often in ministry, uh, we do a weird dance to get around it and uh, pride becomes very much common and accepted. The story that sticks in my mind about that is my dad, who is not a pastor. Uh, He's been a Baptist deacon for years, as far back as I can remember. And I remember a setting where we were talking about a pastor, uh, not at the church where they are now, uh, but when I was a kid, a pastor that he was defending and, and standing up for and whatever was going on. I was a little kid. I don't even remember what was happening. And he was pro him. And he said, you know, some people say that he's uh, arrogant, He said, but he's, he's a Baptist preacher. What do you expect? And that was coming from a supporter. And I remember that sticking. That just stuck in my mind. And I thought, oh, boy, that all not be. Uh, so, that's that's just part of the air we breathe. So we've got to, we're we're prone that way, uh, just as fallen individuals. So we need a significant effort to push against it all the way through history. We're pushing back something that's kind of grown up in our garden uh, of our part of the kingdom. So we we need a lot of stress on that point. I think um, how we can cultivate it. Uh, you will have much to say to that, uh, Dr. Sweeney, but because it's just been, you know, across the history of the church, it's been talked about. But one thing is the regular stuff of just fighting sin, of seeing it and calling it what it is, having faithful friends around us who are willing to tell us, you're getting a little big for your bridges because none of us want to hear it. So it's got to be faithful friends who will tell us that. Uh, attention to the scriptures, because they're going to keep hitting it. It's funny. I mean, they're, it's all over. But what we tend to do, right, is we uh, harden our hearts. We callous our hearts towards certain things. We just don't hear them as often. So we need to be hearing that. And then along the way, uh, it was a specific individual's example that brought this home to me. I tended to think of humility as a negative quality. That is not doing certain things. So the way that we get expressed is uh, somebody says to me, you know, that was really good. You did a good job. And you're kind of supposed to say, no, not really. (laughs) Um, Which really, the no, not really is often then a a plea. Tell me again. Tell me one more time. Or it gets awkward where somebody's trying to say thank you and you're stiff-arming them. And that's weird. But I was another brother's example when I, I saw him being very aggressive to acknowledge and celebrate the gifts of others. And I, it dawned on I me mean, that's what humility looks like. If, I, if I'm if i trying to say not so much about me, I'm still focusing on me. But it is to turn my eyes outward and to recognize and get caught up in and celebrate and rejoice in the gifts and the, the uh, contributions of other people, now my mind's off myself. So for me, it's far from perfected, but that's been a real helpful
0: turn in my thinking. That's great advice. Well, at Beeson Divinity School, we love pastors. We are all about equipping and serving pastors. And one of my favorite things about you, Ray, is that even though you're a high-flying professor, uh, you so evidently serve with the heart of a pastor and you so deeply care about helping and encouraging pastors uh, with the work you do as a New Testament scholar. and the work you do in churches. Many of our listeners are pastors. Some of them are having great weeks. Some of them have had much better weeks. I wonder, do you have anything either from your own experience as a pastor? You've you've been a pastor in the US. You've been a pastor in Scotland. You're a professor and a pastor. Or do you have advice from the pastoral epistles for some of our listeners, particularly those who are feeling a little low this week and need a bit of encouragement?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, because if there are at least two people listening, there's got to be one of them in that, in that spot mm-hmm. uh, today. And the main thing that comes to my mind, its you can find it in the scriptures in various places. You can find it in history. And I'm most recently being uh, reminded of it by a new book called The Cure of Souls, I think it is. Maybe it's The Care of Souls, Lexham Press published it. I wasn't intending to mention it, so I can't give it the name of the author. He's a Lutheran. And he's just very helpfully reminding us in his book uh, that God must do this work. And we know that. Anybody listening knows that. But it's very easy to forget and to think it depends on me. Obviously, we must be faithful. We must be diligent. But that God must do this work and that He will do it. And when we can trust Him with that, then that can encourage us And that God cares more for our church, wherever it is, uh, than even we do. The the denomination may not know about our church. We may feel like other people talk about the work done in this place or that place. Nobody notices the work where I am. And we know that sounds selfish to say it, so we don't tell it to anybody else. We just think it in our own hearts. Mm -hmm. But God sees it. And God knows. And God cares. And God is committed to the good of His people. So there's a pastor listening who is discouraged your answer is the answer that's been to all the other issues it is the rest in the lord he cares he sees he knows his word is powerful his word is powerful when we feel it his word is powerful when it when we don't feel it we love those times when we preach and it just you can sense that it happened my wife will ask me, how did the preaching go? And I'll sometimes say the X factor was there. That You can sense that something happened. But there are all kinds of times when it feels like nothing happened. It was flat as can be. And then you find out later, people were blessed and uh, and helped. I think the Lord, for me at least, removes my own subjective awareness of the success of the Word just to remind me that I'm dependent on Him in doing it. And so people may be at places where they're wondering if anything's happening, but the Word won't return void. And so just stay at the task and trust the Lord.
1: You're not only a pastor, but you are someone who is preparing pastors and future ministers of Christ Church at Union. And so I'm curious to know what role and value you see places like Peace and Divinity School and Union and your your school at Union playing and offering in the formation of ministers of the gospel.
2: Yeah, I think they are uh, crucial. Obviously, people will expect me to say that uh, because I work at one <laughs> such place. But it really is the other way around. I don't say it because I work there. I work there because I believe it. Mm-hmm. The church is the, well, it's the, the center of God's work in the world. It is then also the center for the work of preparing people for ministry. Uh, The way I say it, the way I will plan to say it at uh, preaching tonight for one of both of our alums uh, is God has only one bride, that's the church. Places like Union and Beeson are to be handmaidens to that bride. So it's a crucial role. We understand, though, that it's not a supplanting of the church, but it is a coming alongside. It is serving the church by providing... The resources, by which I primarily mean people, to provide the best, the most robust training hmm. uh, in, in Scripture. And the, that training can only work where places like Union and Beeson are working alongside the church uh, so that we can do some of the academic training that churches typically cannot. Uh, but we recognize, every once in a while, people say, well, you know, seminary didn't have me do this. And when they say that, they mean places like Union, too. And uh, if it's a relational context where I can be this f- forward, I'll say it was never intended to. There are th- things the church does, things that the academy can do alongside it. But I think it's thing crucial um, to help people training for ministry to have the, the strongest and the most robust grounding in the scriptures so that we know it uh, well and are shaped by it. And then that linkage to the church then means, and this is part of what I appreciate about what I've heard from Beeson through the years, is that what we're looking for in teachers and professors are people who have all the academic training and they they know those things, but they are churchmen because we got to bring those things together. Even recognizing the church does things that we don't do, but nonetheless, they have to be connected so that we're wanting them to learn truths but it's not merely intellectual we're wanting those truths to shape who they are so there's mentoring in there uh, that's going on so to serve the church in that way I think is crucial uh, uh, that we might have uh, the best trained ministers that we can have
0: well amen and amen you have been listening to dr. Ray Van Nest who is the Dean of the School of Theology and Missions and a professor of biblical studies at Union University We are being blessed by him this week here at Beeson Divinity School as he is here to give our annual, our 30th annual Biblical Studies Lectures. We are so grateful to you, Dr. Van Ness, for being with us. Thank you. For ministering to the people, even listening to our podcast today. And we're thankful to all of you for tuning in. Goodbye for now.